Attention Northwest Arkansas businesses and talent seekers. Introducing Onboard NWA.com, your hyperlocal job board crafted for our unique community. Struggling to find the perfect match for your job openings? Onboard NWA simplifies the hiring process, connecting you with the region's top talent through tailored talent matching solutions. Whether you're an employer seeking expertise or a professional looking for your next opportunity, Onboard NWA is here for you. Discover more at onboardnwa.com and let's build the future of Northwest Arkansas together. Northwest Arkansas, Randy here, bringing you a quick word from our sponsor, Signature Bank of Arkansas. Since 2005, Signature Bank has been all about empowering our community with local ownership and top-notch banking services. Signature Bank's roots run deep with assets over a billion dollars, and they're right here in your backyard with branches in Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Fayetteville, and now including Harrison and Jonesboro. With a growing family of more than 200 teammates, they're ready to serve you with the warmth only a true community bank can offer. And they've got Banco C, the first bilingual bank in Arkansas, to ensure that banking is for everyone. So give Signature Bank a call at 479-684-3700 or visit Signature.Bank online. Mention you heard about them on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast for that personal touch. Signature Bank of Arkansas. Big on assets, local at heart, and a proud member of the FDIC and an equal housing lender. It's time for another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, the podcast covering the intersection of business, culture, entrepreneurship, and life in general here in the Ozarks. Whether you are considering a move to this area or trying to learn more about the place you call home, we've got something special for you. Here's our host, Randy Wilburn. Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be with you today. I'm here for another Future Is Now speaker series with the Northwest Arkansas Council. We have uh, been all over Northwest Arkansas doing this speaker series. I believe we're doing a total of five of them. And this is the third in the installment. And we've had some great guests on the podcast that have talked about some some of the different aspects of Northwest Arkansas and how we can continue to grow. We have 30 plus new people a day moving to Northwest Arkansas. It's it's an area that is growing by leaps and bounds. We call it the heartland. It's called a number of things. All I know is that we need to do some proper planning to make sure that we can deal with the influx of people that will be here. I, I think by the time 2045 rolls around, which they say we, as one of the fastest growing MSAs in the country, we will have more than a million residents. And it's a big deal. And so today's guest 
I think are important. They're part of the speaker series. You'll be able to hear more from them at the actual speaker series itself. But regardless, when this podcast comes out, there'll be access to the recordings and other additional information about the speaker series at the Northwest Arkansas Council. So we certainly encourage you to take advantage of that information because we're all part of this in terms of trying to make Northwest Arkansas the best version that we can create. And so it's not up to the city planners. It's not up to the politicians exclusively. It's up to just regular old folks like you and I, neighbors, people that are around the corner store, if you will, or people that just connect with each other in, in different ways as we, in our comings and goings here in Northwest Arkansas. And so everybody does have a voice, whether you believe it or not. And I was hoping to just chat with these individuals that are sitting in front of me this afternoon, just to talk a little bit more about this whole idea of community development and really what it looks like. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Kimon Tecumseh Freeman, Vaughn Perry, Scott Kratz, and Megan Kimball to the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Good, good, good. So Megan, I would love for you to just take the uh, reins and introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. It's a pleasure to be here. So my name is Megan Kimball. I'm an independent journalist based in Austin, Texas, and I largely write about housing, transportation, and urban development. And last year, I wrote a story for the New York Times about the 11th Street Bridge Park. Yeah. And that was an amazing story. We will, we will put everything that we talk about on this podcast episode, we will put a link in the show notes so that you can take a look at it. I reread Miss Kimball's article for the second time. It is, it's an outstanding piece. Did, did you win an award for that? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. All right. Well, we need, we need to, we need to just throw that out there into yeah, the, into the absolutely. ether, right? And hope, hope that something comes of that. So, well, well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you joining us. Vaughn, since you're sitting next to Megan, sure. why don't you introduce yourself? Vaughn Perry. I'm the director of the Skyland Workforce Center, which is a project of building bridges across the river. Previously, my role was the director of equity with the 11th Street Bridge Park, which is also a project of building bridges across the river. Okay, great. And Kimon? Yeah, Kimon Freeman, Angry Black Man in Therapy, co-founder of We Act Rail, DC's Indie Station, and new published author of uh, Nineveh, Conflict Over Water, and it's an honor to be here in the NWA. And let's not forget, you, you didn't mention your podcast. <laughs> well, We Act Rail is an independent broadcast station, so we like to say that we're just independent media uh, we kind of like predate podcast. Okay, I yeah. got you. You don't want to. You don't want to put yourself in a corner. But I'm gonna <laughs> give. I'm gonna give you a shout out because I thought the Anacostia un- Unmapped is is an excellent podcast. And as a podcaster for many years, I was I was quite moved by by what you were able to share. And we'll talk more about that. Thank so, you. and last but not yeah, least. It was it was award winning, right? Um, the Scott Kratz. I'm the director of the Eleventh Street Bridge Park. Also a project. Great, great. Well, I appreciate all of you guys just spending a little bit of time with me. Megan, since you know your article really sums up nicely a lot of the things that are happening in Anacostia, which I think are important to for anyone to understand in any part of the country that's trying to improve their community and to maybe not gentrify, but to make better an area that may have been either blighted over time or due to circumstances in the economy just never kind of rebounded. I mean, I remember Anacostia when I lived in DC in the late 80s and early 90s, and we just didn't go to Anacostia and it was a much different place. And as I read your article, I understood like I had been to the Frederick Douglass house many a time because that's a, that's a great experience, but I just had a different feeling and a viewpoint about Anacostia and about the people that make up Anacostia. And I was curious to know what was your prime motivation for writing that article or what was what were the the tent poles that kind of led you to write that? Yeah, so I discovered the 11th Street Bridge Park because I was working sort of separately on a book about urban highways. 
which I have just finished. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and was looking for examples of highway removals while, where people did a really, you know, whoever was in charge of that highway removal did a prioritize engaging the community and doing equitable development around that removal because as many of your listeners might know, when we built urban highways in the 50s and 60s, ran those highways through Black communities, largely had no community engagement or input whatsoever. And so I was really looking for an example of the reverse of that. As we remove these structures that have divided our communities, how are people restitching divided places? And so that was sort of what I just emailed Scott Kratz out of the blue one day um, and got talking to him and was really impressed by the thoughtfulness of this infrastructure reuse project and how far in advance they had been doing, you know, putting real investments into the community in advance of doing any infrastructure work at all. Um, And I think that became sort of increasingly important and urgent when President Biden, you know, allocated a whole lot of money to building new infrastructure across the country is how do we think about these assets, not just as physical ones, but as social and community assets. And I think the 11th Street Bridge Park really struck me as someone that was attempting that, was really making a good faith effort to grapple with questions of gentrification and displacement and equitable development. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many pieces to that whole story as I was reading it. And I'm just like, oh man, I'm just, my head was racing with looking at the ways that different people that were part of the community viewed that bridge project and what it looked like. And so, and I'm glad I have some of the principles in this room. And so Scott, why don't I have you just for the audience, share a little bit about this whole idea, because you were right at the genesis of of this bridge project. I, it's been my honor to be there from the beginning for the last 12 years. In DC, we had this old freeway bridge that was built in the 1960s that came to the end of its lifespan. This is the bridge that went over the Anacostia River. And for those who might not know Washington, DC, the Anacostia River is a dividing line by every way that you could measure it, by race, by income, by even life expectancy, right? There's a 14.7 year difference in life expectancy based where you are in the bridge, which is bananas, right? That's not So this idea when this old bridge was coming down that we could build something new, something better, and was really driven and centered by the community, I think was the key goal for the project. So the old span came down, they left the old piers, and then we're building a new deck that's on top, but one that will no longer hold cars or tractor trailers, but that will hold community-generated programming spaces to physically and metaphorically bridge these two communities. Yeah. And I think, you know, you actually had quite a couple of what were what were some of for you when you first came up with this idea and as and you worked with others, it wasn't just you alone, but what was what what else was an inspiration for you? Had you seen anything elsewhere where you're like, you know, I've always said there's nothing new there's nothing new under the sun, right? And I think a lot of times we just need to see and witness certain things happen before we can make them happen ourselves. And so was there something that you specifically saw where you were like, man, we need to bring that back to DC? Yeah. And to give credit where credit was due, the original idea came from the then DC Office of Planning Director, a woman by the name of Harriet Trugoning. And this was a time when the High Line in New York had just opened, right? The An old, aged out, elevated train track that was you know, quite the darling of the architectural press and can still to this day, I mean, there's more visitors that visit the High Line than the Metropolitan Museum of Art, right? I mean, something like 5 million visitors a year visit there. So it began this larger thinking of instead of getting rid of all this old infrastructure, how do we extend the life of this initial federal investment and rethink it? And certainly there's lots of lessons we've learned from the High Line and hopefully lots of lessons that people are continuing to learn from the 11th Street Bridge Park. Yeah. And I mean, and then, you know, from the High Line, we've got what is it, the Belt Line in Atlanta? So we're kind of seeing that. I mean, it's it's weird because like all these places that I've lived, 
I lived in Atlanta. I lived in D.C. They all just changed over time with a little bit of inspiration and people kind of rolling up their sleeves saying, we're going to make this better than how we found it. We're now tracking over 170 of these transformed infrastructure into civic spaces across North America. And it's not just in the US, there's some in Canada, there's some in Mexico. So, and increasingly we're, we're trying, we connect, there's actually a, a larger group called the Highline Network that meets on a regular basis that we can really learn from each other because we all shouldn't be making the same mistakes at the same time across the country, right? We should really figure out how to do this right. And a huge emphasis of the Highline Network is learning from lessons of the Highline and to do this, again, centered in the community, but also think about the intended and sometimes unintended consequences of these types of projects. Yeah. Vaughn, can you just kind of share your part in all of this? And Yeah. So... One of the things Scott hasn't had a chance to talk about was, so we talked more around like the project and us redesigning this park, but the fact that from the very beginning, we went into the community to ask the community, is this something that you even want? Yeah. And from that, there were more conversations around like, okay, if this is something you want, tell us what you want and tell us what the programming should be like. Tell us what types of stores you want. And then then there there was this bigger concern around, well, why do we need a bridge when we don't have a grocery store? And what about what's going to happen when this park comes? What is it going to mean to our community? Yeah. And so one of the things that we started to do was to have these conversations with community members to really go to them to say, all right, like we don't want this development to cause displacement. And so community, help us to figure out what some of those solutions can be. And so from those conversations, we have what's called our equitable development plan. It's about 40 plus strategies that are made up of housing strategies, cultural equity, small business, and workforce. We're actually going through our third version right now that's going to include health and wellness strategies. But basically, they are solutions and feedback that we have received from stakeholders, mainly community residents, but faith-based organizations, business leaders, small business organizations, and looking at ways that we can make sure that the investment that is going into the bridge is going to benefit the residents that live in our community now. Yeah. And and I'm glad you mentioned, you mentioned a number of different aspects of this process, the least of which, of course, is, is workforce development, right? A lot of times when we talk about building and infrastructure, we say, oh, well, that's just going to provide jobs. But, you know, every project that I've ever seen comes to an end at some point in time, right? I mean, well, the big dig in Boston, that's a whole nother story. But the bottom line is all of these major infrastructure projects do come to an end. And then it's like, well, what what next? And so you working in the workforce development area, you guys really look long and hard at this and how this would impact jobs Mm -hmm. in the in the area above and beyond the project itself. In your estimation, is it going to make a really big dent in the job availability in the Anacostia area? I think right now, I mean, we're even we're seeing indirectly it's already having an impact. Sure, when we look at the construction of the bridge, it's going to allow for, you know, a number of jobs that's specific to building the bridge. Our goal is that we can make, have as many of those jobs, not just from Washington, D.C. residents, but more specifically, Scott was talking about the separation between east and west of the Anacostia River, more specifically from the east of the river residents. But then we're also looking at what jobs are going to happen after the park is built, right? So whether it's 
somebody that's um, working in retail or somebody that's taking care of the landscape architecture or somebody that's taking care of some of the stormwater features branching outside of the park? Are there businesses that are going to need more staff because they're going to be increased traffic? And how can we support those small businesses and make sure that the people that they are able to hire have the skills that are necessary to succeed? And so we expect that it can have a tremendous impact in the community. And I think only time will tell, you know, within the next 10, 15, 20 years, how much of an impact it's able to have. Yeah. And, and I think what's really key, just building on Vaughn's point, the, the key is thinking intentionally with the community at the center, but really early, right? We know what mm-hmm. happens if you don't have a level of intentionality. We've seen that happen in Washington, D.C., in multiple neighborhoods, right? We've seen that the, in cities across the United States. So, we haven't broken ground yet. And we've already invested $86 million in the nearby community. That doesn't include the bricks and mortar of building the park, right? That's going directly into a community land trust, into a home buyers club that's seen 122 east of the river renters become homeowners, capturing generational wealth, right? There's over 150 residents who are now employed in construction jobs, right? Millions of dollars into Black-owned businesses east of the river. So thinking about like that timing, I can't emphasize that enough, that timing is really critical, right? There's a great the line that like, when's the best time to plant a tree? It's like 50 years ago. When's right. the second best time to plant a tree today? today yeah. Right. So thinking about this work really intentionally is key because we want to make sure that the tens of thousands of residents who've shaped every single element of this park are the ones that can benefit from it. And that's the goal of the app. Yeah. You know, and I, and I read that whole part about the land trust and that was kind of my mind blown moment where I was like, oh my God, that's, that's it right there. I mean, there were a couple of big takeaways from Megan's article one of which was obviously is like you said is to try to buy property before it gets too expensive and to think of creative ways that you can possess that land and then utilize it for the benefit of affordable housing you know one of the issues that we have here we're in Bentonville proper we're recording this at Crystal Bridges so shout out to Alice Walton and the rest of her team that have built this wonderful uh, building that's been here for now what what is it 13 years now and um or 12 years and it's it's really it's really made a huge difference in this community, and it it is a, a an attractive space that people come to. But it, it's just one part of the puzzle, right? I mean, I can't live in the art. I have to have a roof over my head. I have to have a bunch of other things. And so the challenge that we've had here is that just ten years ago, when this was built, there were a lot of affordable houses around here. Now there aren't, and so we're running into that issue right here in Northwest Arkansas. And I'm really hoping that. You guys are able to share just some concepts and ideas at a high level during this speaker series, which will get some of our local planners, local politicians, and just local citizens to think differently. I'm thinking differently about how I approach this and how I try to help solve the problem. And so I'm excited to hear more of what you guys have to share. And I think it's going to be really valuable for the residents of Northwest Arkansas. And so, Kimon, I see myself in you because I'm a storyteller. You're a storyteller. That's how you do that. How did you see your role in all of this kind of come together? Well, I, I like what Megan said earlier. She referred to what Scott was doing as, as a social asset. And I think that social asset was predicated on the social capital of us telling these stories. Those stories started with Anacostia and Map, this radio uh, documentary that we co-produced with um, WAMU, was our NPR affiliate. And by taking those stories because we was originally told, what are we going to do when gentrification comes and you guys have to leave? Like that was the onus from our funder 
That's what they funded. They wanted to get those stories before they get lost. And I flipped that. I was like, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> what do we? What can we do? Because the greatest power is convincing people that they don't have any. Yeah. So you said like, you know, these new ideas and innovations. A lot of stuff that we're talking about is not really new. The communal land trust is not a new concept. It comes out of the civil rights movement in the 60s. HUD, for decades, has said that you shouldn't be paying more than 30% of your income in housing. That's a guideline. Should be a law. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In D.C., um, over 25% of the renters in, in the nation's capital spend 50% of their income in housing, over 50% of the income in housing. That should be criminal. You can't get finance from anywhere, anyone with that type of burden, but people are living under that type of burden. And we have for far too long accepted that for those people. And so now that these people have now realized that their power, I think what we've been doing is trying to inspire them, inform them, and give them the tools they need to have a legitimate stake in their own community, to have a voice in their own community, the right to stay in their own community. I mean, Vaughn and I and Scott and all of us, we had to educate politicians to what this was. We had to tell them, you know, these are the policymakers supposed to represent our best interests. And yet we had more tools in our toolbox than they had in their wheelhouse. Yeah. So there's a problem here. So what people need to understand is that they have to get involved and that we at radio, as we like to say, do something. Because we can't just spectate. And it's an honor to be here in this building that was uh, created. It was launched on November 11, 2011. Uh, 11, yeah. And it's also, ironically, the same time that We Act Radio was founded, November 11, 2011, 2011. at 11 a.m. A lot so of good things happen on that's November right, 11, 2011. It's like James Brown's on the one. We're on the one. <laughs> okay? And so for us to be on the one, we have to set the record straight. And that we have to envision what we want to see rather than having the market forces, the big green giant in the hills that come down and terrorizes and nothing we can do about it. No, it's not storm clouds. It's not a natural occurrence. We can extrapolate displacement from the equation of gentrification. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about creating the equity. And that's what the call of the day is. Man, I mean, it's, that's like almost a mic drop moment. I mean, it's like, where do you go from there? <laughs> so I'm sure you'll repeat that again tonight. I hope so, because people need to hear that. We don't have a lot of time because I, I do want to give you guys some time to prepare for this evening. I think, you know, there's a lot that we could, uh, we being Northwest Arkansas could unpack and learn from this project based on what little you guys have learned about Northwest Arkansas. I know we had a Zoom call where we got to know each other a little bit. And I know some of you came in a little early and, and maybe met with certain stakeholders in this community. So I'd be curious for you guys just to give us a little of your input because you're in the thick of it, right? I'm just now rolling up my sleeves. I mean, you you guys got your overalls on. So I would love for you just to kind of share some insight and information that might be helpful to those stakeholders in this community here in Northwest Arkansas that are now faced with affordable housing issues, workforce development issues, you know, how we make sure that we don't have our first responders living 50 and 60 miles from the city centers of Rogers, Bentonville, Springdale, and Fayetteville. And that's actually starting to happen now. And, we're, and we need to try to get ahead of it if we can. So I'd love, and Vaughn, I know they pointed at you yeah. first. I think, first of all, let me just say how impressed I have been with Bentonville specifically, and even a lot of the people that we've been able to meet over the last few days. Mm-hmm. And I think that you all are headed in the right direction because you're doing the work now. I mean, the fact that we're all here to speak to you all, to share like what were some of our successes and failures says a lot about what the um, 
your leaders are trying to do. If I had any words of encouragement, it would be to make sure we're doing the community engagement now. Make sure that especially like the residents, the people that generally don't have the voices, they need to be a part of the process now. We don't create the plan and then invite them, (laughs) but have them a part of the process while you're creating the plan. And what you'll find is they will have more ownership in stake and there will be champions for the plan because they were a part of it. Yeah. No, it's totally disingenuous when you, you know, you tell people you want to get feedback from them, but you've already brought the plan to the table. Right. So part, it, part of the equity piece is not having public policy without public input. Yeah. That's part of the equity. Yeah. And that is the empowerment piece because normally people are told what's happening as opposed to being a part of what's happening. Yeah. To shape it, to shape what's happening. And something that Vaughn says a lot is like um, the, I'm going to use your quote, but like the answer is already in the community. We just need to listen. Right. And that's really critical. Yeah. I think it's like clay covered hands to mold what we want to see. But at the same time, if you don't like what you see, you got to change it. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to kind of remold it and, exactly. and, and go a different route. So, you know, but it does require the listening. Those yes. listening sessions are critical and important. So, And wherever it's possible, put that decision-making power in the hands of local residents. I and mean, as you said, there's a difference between outreach and engagement, right? Outreach tends to be unidirectional. Engagement is both ways, right? Yeah. And how, like for the design of the park, like I didn't get to vote, the community voted. Right. Um, the, so it was this sort of moment where three dozen residents in the community and, and stakeholders selected the design team, whatever they selected was going to what we'd have to go out and raise tens of millions of dollars to help fund. But that's critical. Every single strategy that came from in the equitable development plan that Bob was talking about came from local residents. And that's how you have true ownership. And that's also how you have longevity. Right. That's how you have persistence. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And, and you know, I want to I want to kind of bring it home with you, Megan, since, again, you wrote such a wonderful piece. and. What I'm going to recommend. Read her article. Yes. New York Times article. It is is on point. I will put it in. I'll figure out a way to get it in there so it's not gated, but I'll make sure that article is available for our listeners because the thing that I think those of you that are listening to this, that this is important to you, you're a stakeholder in, in this and you may see yourself in one of the stories that Megan so deftly weaves in that article. But Megan, I'd love for you just to kind of finish up and bring it home for us your recollection of things as you ended writing that article uh, versus where they are today. And what are you, you know, what are you hoping that this article accomplishes, not just for Anacostia, but for other areas like Northwest Arkansas that might look at your words and the research and, and guidance that you have shared? What would you want us to walk away with? Yeah, well, thank you for your kind words about the story. I mean, so I wrote it for this new desk at the New York Times called Headway, which is exploring the the world's challenges through the lens of progress. And I really like that mandate of like, not just looking at where things have gone wrong, but really doing a rigorous look as a journalist about people who are trying to put it right. People who are really grappling with these questions and trying to do something, you know, no one is perfect. No one is doing anything perfectly, but like, let's make an effort. Let's try to move forward. And I think, you know, I've reported in cities across the country in Atlanta and DC and Houston and Shreveport. And I would say the kind of unifying force for gentrification and housing unaffordability is the price of land. Yeah. And we live in a capitalistic real estate market. We that's the world that we have created in the United States. And so protecting land early on, protecting ownership of land and who gets to profit from that ownership is the thing I have seen in community after community and getting there early before it feels like a crisis and helping people understand why it's important to get there early before it's a crisis. So I think kind of control of land is the thing that really captivated me about the bridge park that they had created this community land trust. And it is a thing that I have seen 
people are grappling with across the country. And I think that's a really important takeaway is community control of land. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys have all laid it out. Megan, thank you for that idea that we should all take away from this. And I certainly want to, we'll put a link. uh, When does your book come out? April 2nd, 2024. It's called City Limits. All right, great. We will definitely put a link out for that when it does come out in advance. You you know, we got to support our authors as they get their books out because that's the only way that we can really see a, a true exchange of ideas. But Megan Kimball, thank you so much. Vaughn Perry, I appreciate you joining us today. Kimon Tecumseh Freeman, I appreciate you. And uh, Scott Kratz, thank you guys for all joining us here on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please. Well, folks, there you have it. Another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I hope you enjoy that. And I certainly want to encourage you to come out and join me and the folks at the Northwest Arkansas Council for any of these upcoming speaker series events. Of course, you know, the Northwest Arkansas Council is working night and day to bring programs like this to the whole of Northwest Arkansas that really do make a difference. And so I I would encourage you to be a part of the solution. You are a stakeholder, whether you realize it or not. So get involved. And whether you're listening to my podcast or just reading the newspaper, there is something for you to do. So I appreciate you taking time out to listen to this particular episode. It's a very important one. So I would encourage you to rewind it back and listen to it again. Read the show notes, read Megan's wonderful piece in the New York Times and get involved because we only have like 22 years to get to that million person mark here in Northwest Arkansas. And I want to be part of that group and I'll still be around hopefully. I want to be part of that group that said, hey, I was part of the solution and we came up with some really good ideas. Thanks in no small part to these amazing people that we keep bringing into our community to encourage us and to give us some guidance and wisdom because they've already been down the roads that we're trying to grow down. So that's all I have to share with you this week. Remember, our podcast comes out every Monday, rain or shine. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you back here next week for another new episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Check us out each and every week, available anywhere that great podcasts can be found. For show notes or more information on becoming a guest, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. We'll see you next week on I Am Northwest Arkansas.